Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. Imagine a world where planning your books is as fun as writing them, where plotters plot in heroic harmony and pantsers organize without overwhelm. Here's the thing, that world exists. Plotters and pantsers alike love the visual outlining and story Bible software Plotter, now available both online and as a web app. Named the number one outlining app for productivity by Kindlepreneur, Plotter turns outlining and organizing your books into the creative process it's supposed to Visit plotter.com slash rw today. That's p-l-o-t-t-r dot com slash rw today. And experience the difference yourself. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Mayo, author of the new novel, Welcome to Jimmy's Place. Publishers Weekly wrote about one of Mayo's earlier novels. Mayo persuasively portrays such real-life mobsters as Meyer Lansky and Lucky Luciano in a tale sure to appeal to fans of Max Allen Collins' gangster historicals. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Welcome to Jimmy's Place, how would you describe the novel? Uh, it is historical fiction, very closely based on fact, and it's based on facts that most people don't know. Um, it's considered. It's set in the present of the novel is 1934, when, as it happened, two New York millionaires attempted to get a plot started to overthrow the Franklin Roosevelt administration. They thought he was leading the country in the wrong direction, and they came up with a completely crackpot scheme to uh, enlist General Smedley Butler, a great American hero, another person that, that most people don't know about, to lead a group of veterans that, that would somehow take over the, the government from Roosevelt. They would, they would induce Roosevelt to resign. That was kind of the basic idea. And... To do this, they kind of got in contact with two con men who led them on and got them to, to pony up considerable dollars to get this thing going. And I took that as my beginning and came up with a different sort of plot that involves my hero, Jimmy Quinn, who has owned a speakeasy for years, but now that... Uh, Prohibition is coming to an end. He's trying to go legit. He is also a bit of a gangster in that he is a known associate of uh, a lot of people who were in the mob and, and worked with them closely. He's one of these guys. He, he is a, a bad guy, but he's not as bad as the bad guys that he goes up against. And there are certain lines he will not cross. The books are all done in first person. And I really think if it, I've got to make Jimmy's voice work for the reader to to get into the books. If if you don't like Jimmy, you're not going to like the books. And so <laughs> I I try to keep him on the right side of things. That's great. I'm curious. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write "Welcome to Jimmy's Place"? 
it, it was learning about the um, the business plot, as it's called. That's part of it. Also learning about something that occurred two years before that, the Veterans March on Washington, which was World War I veterans hoping to get the bonuses that they had been promised uh, paid early. And so from every corner of the, the country, they marched on Washington and spent the summer of 1932 camped out uh, on the mall right in front of uh, the Capitol building and around it and uh, eventually were, were driven off. But it was something that, again, was front-page news at the time. Everybody followed it uh, for, for weeks and weeks, and it came to a bad end. And today it's virtually forgotten. And that, that's one of the things that, that really bothers me. There's so much really important history that people don't know. Uh, that, and, and this is the stuff that, that, that affects everyday people. I'm not talking about you know, the great wars and congressional acts and things like that. But what happened to, to, to regular people at the time? And I, I do an awful lot of primary research. The more I learn about that kind of thing, that's what informs the books and 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 gets me motivated to to try to turn the the real reality of the 1930s and 20s into fiction. Well, it's interesting that you mention that. I mean, uh, there's certainly, and and I don't know. I mean, would you agree that there's echoes? Um, even now in 2022 from things that you're saying? I mean, people descending on Washington? I have to, I, I, I was a little bit prophetic, if I may do a little bragging on myself. I wrote all of that before uh, the uh, events of January 6th. Uh, and the veterans who came to Washington before their purpose was nothing like that. Though there right, was right. one moment when they were all masked and had actually climbed the steps of the Capitol building and were ready to go inside and try to disrupt Congress, which was having in session at the time. But uh, a band started playing patriotic songs, and everyone stopped and sang along with the band, and then somebody said, go home, and they did. <laughs> Well, I'm curious. You you said you do a lot of research. What kind of research did you do as you were working and preparing to write the novel? I read for for anyone who is writing about New York City. If you have an electronic subscription to the New York Times, you have access to every page of every paper they have ever published, and going back all the way to the to the very beginnings of it. You can read every story in there. You can find out what the weather was like uh, on September 20th, 1932, what time the sun rose, when the ships arrived and left, which ships arrived and left. All of that is there. And it, it uh, along with, you know, which gangsters murdered each other, um, the the things that we're all really interested in. Um, and, and that is one of the primary things. The other thing that I use a lot is old books published then. Um, Amazon is a terrific uh, resource for finding used books. I use interlibrary loan at my public library uh, to get a hold of the things that I can't find to buy. And I, I try to go as much to the original material as I can. That's great. 
Well, I know that you've written nonfiction books about movies and several uh, movie and TV and DVD guides. I'm curious, what was your initial fiction writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Uh, it was the fact that the internet absolutely killed the film book business. <laughs> <laughs> we, I had been doing um, uh, several books for the uh, Video Hound series. They do the big Video Hound uh, uh, movie guide. And I had done books on uh, horror movies and war movies. And we decided, okay, this DVD business is coming up here. This is really going to be great. People are going to want to be buying DVDs and wanting to know uh, about the movies that are available. And so we thought that we could come up with a book a year that would kind of cover every, th every DVD that had been released that year and make salient comments about it. I had a staff of honor, I guess, a dozen, 20 uh, volunteer reviewers who helped me for uh, just, just a pittance. They weren't paid very much. None of us were. And we managed to keep the, the book going for three years. But by then we realized, you know, hey, all of the stuff that we're publishing here coming out often a year late uh, has already been on the on so many websites that we are just wasting our time here. And then when I tried to, with my agent, pitch other film books, that was the same thing we ran into. Everything that is happening that you want to write about is available somewhere for free. And at the very end of my, my writing about those books, I had been uh, commissioned to do a book called American Murder about the kind of it's the intersection of great American crimes and the their their representation in popular art, movies, songs, books, all that. And that is what really got me jazzed about uh, New York during Prohibition. So many great things were going on then. It was really kind of the birth of the 20th century, what we consider America today. And as you were just saying, there were so many echoes of what was going on in the present that, that I felt like that you could write about uh, 1922 and it would kind of resonate with 19 with 2022, not exactly that way because I started before then, but there was so much fun stuff there. And at the time I lived in New Jersey, um, I went into New York often, was able to see a lot of the places where uh, the the events had happened, and so that just I, I I became a bit obsessed and and still am when I'm working really hard on something. My wife says that I go to Jimmy Land. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious what was what is your writing process when you're um, when you're working on a novel when you're working on Welcome to Jimmy's Place? Given what you talked about, all of the research, um, are you outlining the novel extensively before you dive in? I, I do not. I, I would I think be a better writer and would come up with more entertaining novels if I did that. I usually start knowing. One or two big scenes, and I have a general idea about who my good guys and bad guys are and how it's going to end, but I'm never really sure how I'm going to get there. So there's a lot of discovery uh, as I go along, an awful lot of tearing up early chapters and rewriting them 
or finding that that just doesn't work at all and discarding it. It, it is not a, a really you know, a very efficient way to work at all, but it, it works for me. And you, and I'm, this has happened with every book I've written, fiction or nonfiction. You go through a time when you think, this is just insane. I have no business doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. It doesn't work. It's stupid. Nobody's ever going to want to read it. And you stick with it, and later you change your mind. Or at least you hope you reach that point where you change your mind and decide that it's good. So I'm curious, are you working on another novel now? Right now, I am working on some other uh, things involving uh, publicizing this book. I have some ideas for the sixth uh, Jimmy Quinn novel. I'm not sure if they're going to come to fruition just yet. So it's one of those things, I'm a little superstitious. I don't like to talk too much about Mm -hmm. Anything I haven't done. So uh, yeah. we'll see. I, I hope there will be a sixth Jimmy Quinn novel. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? I would say, you know, kind of the standard advice is, you know, write about what you know. Uh, and that's true. But I think it is more important to write about what you want to know. Pick something that really interests you and learn more about that. Uh, it, you will. I think then it, that is where you will find the the inspiration for your, particularly for fiction, uh, if, for the kind of historical fiction that I do. The more I learn about what was really going on then, the the and the the more authentic I can make it. And that I think is more important than following any kind of formula. I mean, for for any sort of escapist fiction, you do you know. There are certain rules that you need to abide by. But beyond that, try to find your, your own voice and don't be afraid to, um, you know, to tear things up. And, and, and one other thing that I think is really important, and I wish somebody had told me this uh, earlier in my career, don't worry about where something begins. Don't try to think up the great first chapter or first line right away. That will come to you eventually. None of the books that I wrote had what I thought was going to be the beginning at the beginning. That That is it's always either discarded or placed somewhere else uh, in the story. Uh, you'll figure that out when the time comes. Don't let it slow you down. When you're ready to write, just try to get it all down. Put uh, When you begin, throw everything at the page and uh, see what sticks. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, uh, the best book I have read in a long time uh, is um, Polly Adler, uh, The Great American Madam. Uh, Debbie Applegate wrote it. Uh, she won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago uh, for another book. Polly Adler was the great famous madam uh, in Prohibition, New York. She was arrested many times, ran, you know, this very famous house of ill repute, several of them actually, uh, and was quite famous in her day, wrote a a wonderful book herself called A House is Not a Home. And Debbie Applegate has kind of gone behind the scenes of that. Uh, She's gotten a lot of original material. She paints a wonderful picture of New York in the 30s. Uh, she really gets the the people right, uh, and and Polly knew everybody, and everybody knew Polly's place. 
she hung out with all the literary people too. Uh, and, and so she's just a fascinating character. And that book uh, is just one of the most amazing things I've read uh, recently. I I was thought I would be interested in it, checked out a copy from the library, got one uh, chapter into it, and ordered my copy. Um, it it <laughs> wow. is just that good. It's I can't recommend it highly enough. That's amazing. Well, I'm curious, are you still watching a lot of movies? I do. Um, um, I, I still uh, review some films on, on radio for a couple of radio stations. I, I had a uh, radio show for several years and kind of maintained my contacts there. I will always uh, enjoy watching movies, but I, I have to say, if you're if you're doing it at all professionally now, where they used to, you know, I, I would attend critic screenings and sure. things like that. Now they send me screening links to watch movies on my computer, yeah. and it's just not the same. Well, well, I'm curious, what movies have you seen in, say, the last two, three, or four years that you enjoyed and that you would recommend? Oh, um, um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I just I thought that movie blew me away in a way that movies haven't for a long time. And it was one where I very carefully uh, waited. I did not want to know anything about it beforehand. Went to one of the early screenings at uh, a theater that I knew would really handle it right. I'm I'm real picky about projection, sure, and and wanting to have a really good theatrical experience. And it just uh, oh, I, I was I was stunned by it. I've watched it several times since. And think it is just an amazing film. It, it's one that you you see something new in it every time you watch it again. Yeah, it is amazing, and I don't want to give spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. But it really caught me by surprise. I thought I knew where it was going, and um, I, I loved it too. It was exactly that. That's the whole thing. You know, okay, I know he's going to be doing something here, but what is he going to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I I agree with you on that one. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, I'm at uh, mike-mayo.com. Um, and finding the books is sometimes a little tricky because there are a couple of different Mike Mayos who write. And to, I did my nonfiction as Mike Mayo. I do my fiction as Michael Mayo, which is my real name. Uh, but I, I just... It, it, Nobody knows how to spell Michael. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I didn't want to have that as my name on my website. So Mike-Mayo.com, it was kind of the closest, easy thing I could get that I, I thought people would remember. And I, I do have an, an author page on, on Amazon, uh, but it too sometimes can be hard to find because there are a couple other Michael Mayos. And I, I've got to say that when I, the, the first book came out, uh, there was another Michael Mayo who wrote a, a nonfiction book about uh, shenanigans on Wall Street, <laughs> and he also lived in New Jersey, and we got so much mail for each other. And I, th I think he was really honked off at me uh, for having the same name because I, my book came out just a little ahead of his. They have nothing to do with each other. Right. But uh, he, he just really thought that, you know, this is just wrong. We shouldn't be— this guy is writing these cheap escapist novels, and I'm trying to do a serious expose of what's going on on Wall Street. I can't really blame him, but uh, you know, hey, that's what happens. Yep, exactly. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michael Mayo, 
author of the new novel, Welcome to Jimmy's Place. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for inviting me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. In 1934, two groups of New York millionaires conspired to overthrow the government. A few people know about one of the schemes, the business plot, they call it. Nobody knows about the second. I only know about it because the bastards tried to kill me. The reasons behind it went back to the Lindbergh kidnapping, but that part's hard to explain. The point is, they wanted to get rid of Franklin Roosevelt and me. And why not? They thought they were so rich they could do whatever they wanted. After all, they were members of the most exclusive men's club in the city, the Cerberus Society. The library of the place is one of those walnut-paneled rooms with a big toasty fireplace and leather wing chairs. There was a sideboard with bottles of hundred-year-old brandies and a humidor filled with Havanas wrapped in silk bands. I've got no use for the cigars, but I've had the brandy. It's not bad. There's still about an inch left in the bottle I stole. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 